BetQL. BetQL Daily presented by BetMGM, live coast-to-coast on the BetQL Network. Chris Mack alongside Joe Ostrowski and Aaron Hawksworth. One hour from now, we dive into the National League MVP market. If you missed it earlier, rewind inside your Odyssey app or download it as a podcast, the AL MVP conversation. In 40 minutes, Harrison Sanford from Stadium and MSG Networks to talk about the NBA, and we dive into that NBA card and some college hoops as well in 20 minutes with let's go or hell no always a let's go to see our friend from sumer sports and pinnacle ben brown with us here on betql daily follow him on twitter at ben underscore r underscore brown ben uh good morning this is this is your time of year my friend this is your season <laughs> this is your it's like a month of christmas it's combine it's draft it's nfl off season so just to this point like with free agency a couple of weeks away, the combine going on right now. Um, what's what's your feeling on what the first domino to fall will be? I think a lot of people feel it'll be Justin Fields, right? Um, and how that'll cause the other dominoes to fall in different directions. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, thanks for having me, everybody. Yeah, kind of like you said, it's uh, it's the nerd's time to shine in a lot of ways. So I appreciate you guys having me on. But I think just in general, like, I think you did hit the nail on the head. I've been asked this question a few times. Like, we've always kind of pended and waited uh, on the number one overall selection, I would say, um, to kind of really, like, set the table for the rest of the offseason. And to me, like, what are the Bears going to do, whether they trade the pick, whether they trade Justin Fields? Like, there's kind of, like, a, a lockdown of those two factors needing to happen or get resolved before a lot of other things get in place. I think, you know, obviously, like, the, the odds market has shifted towards Justin Fields ending up in Atlanta. That has an impact on, you know, other free agent quarterbacks like Kirk Cousins and everyone else kind of aligning with different teams or maybe staying with the same team. So I think that one bears piece of the puzzle does seem like it's moving towards a resolution of Caleb Williams being the number one overall draft pick, going to Chicago, them moving on from Justin Fields. And I think that is the piece that is kind of hinging on the rest of the news kind of percolating out. So I do expect that to happen here relatively quickly, probably, you know, a week before free agency, which means uh, we should be seeing in the next week or two some sort of movement, I would say, specifically on Justin Fields uh, and the new team that he ends up with. See, Ben, it's a wrap in my world. It's over. Didn't we see the shirtless Justin Fields jumping up and down in his kitchen after saying that he didn't want anything to do with the Bears or anything NFL anymore in social media? Like, it's a wrap. I, I do think that. I am with the markets. Like, if we're following the betting markets, right, they're going to trade him to the Falcons. I don't know that that's the case. I feel much more confident that they're going to take Caleb Williams number one overall, and that's been right. the clear-cut favorite all along. I'm not going to disagree with that. So I'm going to go uh, another Bears route with you. Number nine. If Caleb's the plan, let, let's move forward with that. What is the dream scenario sitting there for them at number nine? Yeah, I would say, you know, and it is like a really, I would say really strong wide receiver class at the top. Obviously, if you get Caleb Williams, like you don't want to go in a lot of ways, the same direction um, with what happened, I would say, with Justin Fields having a couple of years where he didn't have a number of bona fide playmakers. And obviously, they do have DJ Moore kind of in the fold as well. But landing on somebody, I would say, at pick nine, basically, that can kind of revolutionize this offense, whether that is Malik Neighbors. Obviously, discussions with him are you know going to be, does he end up at number six overall? 
um, you know, to like the New York Giants or something. Where does Marvin Harrison fall up? But it does seem like one of the top three wide receivers or Brock Bowers are very much going to be the expectation, I would say, at the number nine overall selection. So I do think they have to go offensive skill position player once again. Defensively, I think they're actually maybe a little bit stronger than where they even were playing at last year. And I do think that's a spot where they don't necessarily need to invest a ton of top 10 overall draft pick talent. So I do think wide receiver uh, is kind of the dream fantasy scenario. But also, I think, you know, from a front office standpoint, has to be the approach that they want to take in a similar vein to, you know, what Cincinnati did pairing, you know, a, a quarterback and wide receiver. Obviously, they did that in subsequent draft classes as opposed to getting all those guys in the first in one draft class. But I think to me, you know, Roma Duzneze at, you know, number nine overall makes a lot of sense if one of Malik neighbors or maybe even Marvin Harrison Jr. isn't actually available at number nine. I'm here in Washington. I was just telling the guys I was reading that a uh, new owner, Josh Harris is sitting in on all these combine quarterback interviews, which just makes me think, brother, what are we even doing? It seemed like Drake may at number two. Now it seems like more like maybe that'll be Jaden Daniels. What's your assessment of that situation? Yeah, I'm, I'm on record as kind of being a Drake May guy. I don't think necessarily like the conversation is him or, or Caleb Williams at number one overall, but I did think there was a pretty decent gap between those two guys and the, and the next available at that quarterback class kind of heading out of the, the, the college football season. Uh, and to me, it's kind of, kind of been a situation where people have kind of picked apart Drake May's game. And in a lot of ways, that gap has closed for who's going to be selected number two overall. But for all the things that I've seen, I still think it's Drake May. To me, the concern with Jaden Daniels, obviously, is very much like his his rate of sacks based on pressure type situations. That's been a, you know, a pretty big issue with Justin Fields as well. And I think in a lot of ways, it's a, it's a spot where the league is maybe trending ahead of, you know, public people who are kind of trying to size up where these guys are going to end up. And I think that's going to be the main differentiator between Drake May and Jaden Daniels at two. And, and probably the main reason why Drake May ends up as the number two overall selection over Jaden Daniels come April. Ben Brown of Sumer Sports and Pinnacle at Ben underscore R underscore Brown on Twitter for a ton of great information on what to expect this NFL offseason, including the draft, as we're going through the combine right now. You mentioned Jaden Daniels. Just how much work do you think he needs before he hits his ceiling at the NFL level? There, There's clearly more room to grow, I think. A lot of us would agree on that. But the steam on Jaden Daniels the last couple of weeks, especially in mock drafts, uh, um, do we see that continue without him necessarily throwing on Saturday night? Or is this an opportunity for some of those second tier quarterbacks in particular to make a name for themselves? Yeah, I, I think, you know, obviously, you know, pending pro day performance and those sorts of things, I, I think his stock has kind of risen to the point where it's not necessarily becoming unjustifiable, but there's not a lot more wiggle room towards the upside there. So I do think in a lot of ways, like the conversation on, you know, JJ McCarthy in particular, Michael Penix, like those guys, maybe moving closer to like a top 15 top 10 selection is very much going to probably take over and dominate you know the quarterback discussion to me I, I think Jaden and Daniels can probably really only go in one direction obviously like his measurables and everything else are going to be off the charts maybe there's a scenario where you know from like a broad jump and, and vertical jump perspective he kind of blows it out of the water and that's the reason why he maybe gains even more steam but I, I still think landing as the number two overall selection is 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 really as high as he's going to go and there's not a lot of wiggle room to get you know I, I would say even up to where he's actually currently at in a lot of scenarios so I think the downside is maybe he doesn't test as well 
you know, people start to pick apart his game a little bit more. Obviously, like the progressions and reads and those sorts of things. And again, going back to it, like the conversion of sacks from pressure type situations. I think in a guy like that from, you know, from an athleticism standpoint, like you'd want to see a little bit more escapability, especially at the college football level, because guys at the NFL are going to be so much faster and bigger and stronger that, you know, that's the one thing that really does translate. So to me, I think the Jaden Daniels, you know, hype has maybe been a little bit overblown and I would probably expect it to, uh, I would say peter out here a little bit more than actually gaining any more steam right now. A lot of these positions, Ben, it, it feels like, okay, we know the number one guy and pretty much how it's going to shake out after that at each position. Are there any positions that stand out where you're like, I don't know. I don't know the order. There's no consensus. It's kind of all over the map. Yeah, I I think to me, and this is a spot where, you know, teams have been, I would say, gravitating towards from a draft perspective, because you do get a lot of value on going like towards the interior defensive line position. But I also think the way in which defenses are changing at the NFL level, like that's a position that has become more and more valuable in more recent seasons. And, and to me, it's a spot where, you know, Byron Murphy, uh, the second is kind of up there in like the 20 range, Jahaz and Newton as well as kind of in that same spot. Uh, and, and then there's a lot of other guys that I think are going to be, you know, second and third round draft picks, but nobody that really jumps off the board is at least I would say kind of leading in that one particular position. But it's also talked about, I would say, as, you know, one of the deeper classes overall from a second and third round standpoint. And I think that's going to be the spot where teams find a lot of, you know, second and third, you know, round value in a lot of spots. And I do think they're going to find a couple of key contributors. To me, I'm really interested in seeing where a guy like Devondre Sweat is at the at the interior defense line position. Like if his weight comes in close to 360, I think that might be a, a little bit of a red flag for teams. But if he's closer and is cut weight, I would say from where he was playing at last season, like he's a really intriguing prospect that could take up, uh, you know, two gaps basically at the NFL level really quickly and be successful in that spot. And I do think for where he's currently being mocked at, mocked at like he could be a late first round riser and could maybe even catch, you know, the, the Murphy's and the Newton's at the top to potentially overtake them as the number one guy at the interior defensive line position. I wanted to go back to the quarterbacks. Do you have like a thought on how many could go in the first round since we've been talking about what a quarterback rich draft this is, or are we going to be surprised? Yeah. yeah, I think, I think we are going to see, um, five probably go. I, I think like, you know, in some ways, um, you know, obviously the three that we've talked about already, you know, Penix and JJ McCarthy, like, I think those two are going to end up in the back half of the first round. Um, when it's all said and done, I also think there are going to be some guys going in the second round, you know, a guy like Joe Milton as well as like kind of the prototypical second round, uh, you know, quarterback draft selection, really gaudy arm, really athletic and kind of in some ways make everything on the football field, but maybe doesn't have the touch and, every, and accuracy and everything else to be a legitimate first round quarterback talent. But I think teams are going to fall in love with him. I think Michael Pratt obviously has some age, age concerns along with Michael Penix, but I think, you know, those two guys in particular kind of fit in the, in the mid part of the second round to even, you know, you know, uh, early second round. And I think that the discussion is like, just how far do they get pushed up if a guy like Michael Penix and a guy like J.J. McCarthy end up within the first 15 picks? So I think it's relatively safe to say we see five quarterbacks go, and I and I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility that six uh, end up going here when it's all said and done and maybe even seven. 
Ben Brown of Sumer Sports and Pinnacle with us here on BetQL Daily. Let me keep it in the quarterback room for just a second because you've mentioned him a couple times. And I think whoever ends up taking him, unless it's in the second round, it's going to be a wild overdraft. I've said this since the college football season was still being played. J.J. McCarthy, is it realistic that someone's <laughs> maybe moving up in some cases to get McCarthy? In the, I, I can't buy top 10. I have a hard time even believing top 15. But, I mean, that's the steam that we're seeing pushing behind McCarthy's name here. Is this going to end up being a, another wildly overdrafted quarterback, Ben? Or is there is there some legitimacy to the to the McCarthy desires that certain GMs have? Yeah, I I'm I'm actually kind of with you on on that, Chris. I do think you know, obviously, like the fact that the top three are like in, not necessarily completely set in stone, but like feels so confident as like you know the first three selections off the board we do see this secondary tier and we have seen in prior seasons where there is like a pretty dramatic push up. And I do think JJ McCarthy is in a lot of ways the result of that, but unfortunately like he just wasn't asked to make a ton of, I would say competitive NFL type throws at Michigan, especially in, you know, more difficult down and distance type situations, obviously very run heavy scheme, but also like, really positive from an early down EPA success rate as well to the point where, you know, he didn't have a ton of situations where it was a very obvious passing down and he kind of performed above expectation. And I very much think that's a need at the NFL level, you know, regardless of what offense you actually fit in, because, you know, you know, defense are just gonna be so much better than what they have. And you don't have, you know, such a dominant, you know, front five basically that can overcome anything else. So to me, I'm kind of with you. I don't necessarily see it with JJ McCarthy. I also think, you know, Penix as well kind of has some warts, but if you're really only dinging him from an age perspective, it, it does make sense to me that, you know, Penix would have a little bit of a higher ceiling at the NFL level than what JJ McCarthy can operate on or can, can offer to certain teams. And I, I very much think that, you know, although a team might fall in love with McCarthy close to the top 10 picks, like it, it does seem like it's going to be a reach and it's going to be a one-off team more so than, you know, it, it, everybody kind of falling in love with him and him being a lot to be in the top 10 selections, I would say. Uh, ben, the other day I heard a, a interesting conversation with your coworkers, Eric Eager and Thomas Dimitrov, uh, at Sumer Sports, just about this idea of how teams are now handling it, whether, whether they like it or not. Uh, their perspective is we're going to continue to see more teams because it is happening. Um, maybe some people don't realize they're just not showing up at the combine. They feel that they're going to get more out of just sitting at home, watching all the coverage and going over their numbers, than going at the combine and, you know, up, up being up in the stands and being part of those conversations and off hours. Uh, do you think that's the way we're going? We've got uh, about a minute left. I, I does seem like there's been a pushback on that. And obviously you can get a lot of the measurables now from, you know, tracking data and those sorts of things. And there is analysis on that from like a team perspective that's not publicly available. So I get that, but I still think there's value to obtaining as much information as you can. Conversations with other league mates is obviously going to help. And I also think just interviewing and talking to people, although it's tough to quantify, it is very much like a key part of this process. So I think overall, although we've seen some pushback in this direction, I think inevitably long-term, we do see a return to teams actually kind of handling and going back to the combine and get, gathering that valuable information, hopefully use, using it in a, in a quality manner, I would say. Great stuff, Ben. We appreciate the time as always, dude. Good to see you. Uh, follow him on Twitter for all this insight and more at Ben underscore R underscore Brown from Sumer Sports and Pinnacle, Ben Brown. We dive back in to hoops, NBA and college, both of them. We'll play some buy, borrow, burn, as well as let's go or hell no after the Bucks 
and Hornets burned us the other night. Are we back in on that one and a couple other big games as well? An NBA Finals rematch all on the way next here on BetQL Daily.